Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of That's What B Said. I am your host, Bree, at Breezy Clee. Tonight, I am joined by two lovely ladies, Meredith Kane at MCAN Sports. Hi, Mayor. Welcome back. Hello. Welcome back to you, Bree. Yeah, we had a little week off, but we're we're back at, I guess, really good time to come back. And then joining tonight in Brittany's place, we have got Brown's babe herself, Nicole Chatham. Nicole, we are so thrilled to have you back on the show as well. Thanks. Really excited to be here and join you guys. You guys a- can find AKA her. AKA girl gang lawyer. Yes, girl right. gang counselor. Right. Um, <laughs> you guys can find her on Twitter at Browns underscore babe. And she also has her own podcast that she's a part of uh, for Pete's sake. So make sure you guys find her there. It's a wonderful podcast with good friend of the show, Pete Smith. Uh, Nicole, you just shine on that podcast. So we're so happy that you are joining us tonight. Thanks. And I really appreciate that you give it a listen. And um, Pete was so gracious to uh, <laughs> move our re- record date to yesterday so I could join you guys tonight. So I know he'll be excited to listen to this one, too. Yes. Shout out, Pete. Thank you for letting us have her. Yes. Thank you for loaning us your your partner. <laughs> right. We know how important that is. Yes. Um, so we're not going to beat around things um, here. There's obviously been a lot going on with free agency kicking off in the NFL this week. Uh, there's been some good news, some sad news, and some ugly news, I guess, is how I would describe it. Uh, so we'll get started with what's going on with the Browns right now. And then obviously, I think the majority of our show, no surprise, will be about the quarterback. So a couple of things, and I think some of these things may have gotten kind of overshadowed, it seems like, even though they probably shouldn't have. So first, like who is new to the Browns? Uh, the biggest one and the news that came first uh, came on Saturday, and that was the Amari Cooper signing um, acquired by trade in exchange for a fifth round um, and a sixth round pick. And they obviously they swapped those six round picks. So really... Didn't have to give up a lot for Amari Cooper, but uh, the wide receiver room has been the room that probably needs the most help. Uh, And also, you know, something that came after this was Jarvis Landry being released. So kind of an up and down weekend for us as Browns fans, because Jarvis was definitely predominantly beloved in this fan base specifically. Even though I think we all saw that one coming, I don't know if it made things easier. What do you guys, how did you guys feel about the Jarvis Landry news and the Amari Cooper signing? Well, Nicole had to console me on Twitter with Jarvis Landry. (laughs) Um, I was excited about the Amari Cooper trade. I've been a huge fan of Amari since, since college, like both him and Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. Um, are all guys that I watched religiously in college and was huge fans of. So I'm really excited that they got Amari Cooper. That just feels like a very Andrew Barry-esque trade where he gets someone incredible for not a lot of assets or money. So I was excited about it. And like I, I knew the Jarvis Landry thing was coming. Like I, I knew like I could feel it in my bones and it didn't make it any easier. I just hope that wherever he winds up, that he is happy and successful and I'll miss him. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely wish Jarvis all the best. Um, you know, I think that if we're all being honest, that his impact off the field um, in uh, Cleveland was probably greater than his impact on the field he had one really productive year on the field and other than that his production really 
not that it wasn't good, it just didn't match um, the value of his contract. And I think by the time this year rolled around, um, that situation had just become untenable um, for a couple reasons. The Browns weren't in the same glorious cap situation that they've been in in prior years um, where they could just kind of give him money to just be who he is. Um, they had plans for that cash. And so, um, you know, I think they tried to work with Jarvis. You know, I've been seeing a lot of people say to quote unquote restructure his contract. Um, it's only a restructure uh, if you are moving money around. This was just literally asking him to take less money. My <laughs> understanding is Jarvis wanted uh, to sign a new multi-year deal, and that would have been more of a restructure scenario, but the Browns weren't interested in that. And they really were just asking him to take less money this year, um, presumably by trying to convince him that he wasn't going to get a better offer out on the market anyway. Um, Jarvis declined, and so the Browns did what Jarvis you know, wanted them to do, which was to release him as soon as possible so that he had the most time he, you know, possible to, for, to, to, you know, to end up on another team. Um, I don't know if he'll end up getting out in the market what the Browns were offering him for this year. Um, but at this point, he has, you know, all the time that he needs to try to make that make that happen. And I think there's been reports that there are definitely some teams that are really interested in in having him this year. So I definitely, you know, wish him all the best in that. Yeah, Jarvis is um, Jarvis is an interesting one because he's obviously pretty famous in the Browns fandom world for the whole it's contagious speech, you know, when the Browns mm-hmm. were featured on Hard Knocks, it was Baker's rookie season, the Hugh Jackson drama, blah, blah, blah. But like that, I think really is, is kind of what got people on the Jarvis bandwagon. And quite frankly, even though his production hasn't really matched like what we paid for him, I think everybody kind of overlooks that, Nicole, just in the fact of the whole culture phenomenon. And you know, I think Jarvis did have an impact on the culture, specifically the wide receiver room, because we have seen that room become a bit of a revolving door, unfortunately. Uh, and he had provided that veteran leadership, uh, really strong work ethic. He has clearly played through injuries um, and is not shy about being a vocal leader. But you're also kind of discrediting uh, some of the leadership abilities that some of the other guys brought in, like Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, even Baker Mayfield himself, his rookie season. Joe uh, Batonio. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I do think Jarvis was very important, but I think the rating was on the wall this year. And that was a lot of money for Jarvis. And we need more help than I think what Jarvis can bring. Um, And I think we saw some of that play out even last year, too. Even fighting through the injuries, both him and Baker. Clearly, we need more in that wide receiver room. I just didn't think we had room to pay what we probably were going to end up paying and keep him on the roster. Yeah, I think that's right. I will say this about Jarvis. Uh, In 2020, he was the only player in the NFL with a perfect uh, passer rating. That's right. That's right. He (laughs) was, you know what? He was like four for four that season, which was amazing. He might have been, yeah. I mean, what, there was, there was a, was it this year? Was it last year where we thought we, there was a possibility that Jarvis may had to start at at the quarterback position? Was that 2020 when we went through the whole COVID situation? Yeah, I think it was. this past year that um, we were like, he's the second quarterback. Oh, it had to have been this year. When everybody got COVID, right? Yeah, like, it may didn't have been Case Keenum have like yeah. everyone got COVID? Yeah, it was know. right before they... the Green Bay game, and then Baker was able to fly there on his own, I oh, think, and, right. and start. Yeah. But yeah, I think that there was a conversation about Jarvis Landry being 
essentially the fourth string uh, quarterback. <laughs> yeah, well, because yeah, because Kevin Stefanski tried those plays. I want to say twice this past year with Jarvis under center. And one play broke down, but he held onto the ball and made it into the end zone anyway. And then the next, then the next time he tried it, I think it was an incomplete, which ruined his perfect uh, QBR, and that made me sad. But I just always like to bring that up about Jarvis because it's just it's such a fun fact about him that for one single season he had he was the only player in the NFL with a perfect passer rating. Yeah, I'm just. I'm sad. I, I just liked him as a yeah. person. But again, like, I I think he's going to go somewhere. He's going to probably fit uh, in a, a spot that makes sense for him. Like, I was hearing today, like, some of the suitors were Kansas City potentially or New Orleans, right? I mean, if he went down to Kansas City, like, that's that's almost like a perfect role depending on what they end up paying him. But, I mean, he at this point, like, he might be weighing the cost there, too, of mm-hmm. a legitimate Super Bowl contender that – he can find a role, fit in, maybe take a little bit less pay, but again, kind of have that that chance, bet on himself, and possibly win a ring, right? And join his best friend in being Super Bowl champs. Right. Yeah, for sure. I I think too to to roll back though to you know you I think that you're right that the cap space had to be cleared. Um, I think it did have to be cleared in order to, for example, bring on a guy like Amari Cooper. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I was a big fan of that Amari Cooper trade. I think that Andrew Barry did a masterful job. What was really funny is the day the trade news came out, um, you know, obviously free agency hadn't started yet. And so I think the one kind of criticism I heard was, you know, is Amari Cooper really worth that $20 million a year contract? Now, I think, A, you know, there's some possibilities for restructure on that contract that can make it a little bit more palpable from a from a cap standpoint. Um, but I will also tell you that once free agency kicked off yesterday and Christian Kirk got 21. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Got, got $21 million a year. Um, from the Jaguars, all of a sudden that Amari Cooper deal. Uh, yeah, it doesn't was, seem so bad. Was yeah. it looking so bad. It's a deal. It's a steal. Yeah. Inflation really hit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I bet, I bet Trevor Lawrence is absolutely psyched to be able to throw to Christian Kirk. Yeah, I don't. That whole situation, I mean, and we're going to, you guys, I'm really sorry. This is just like shameless for me, but I can't help it. If we're going to go down to Jacksonville, I'm going to say they just unloaded so much money to bring in Christian Kirk, to bring in Zay Jones, to bring in Evan Ingram. Um, Yes, they are clearly finding targets for Trevor Lawrence. What I find completely inexplicable is the fact that I think they actually have one of the most electric offensive players in the league on their team in LaVisca Chenault. I felt like he was used horribly um, but then again, everything pretty much went horribly under Urban. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Hard to judge. But like, like LaVisca Chanel really ha- Trevor Lawrence and the no good, very bad, horrible, whatever season yeah. last year, man. But LaVisca Chanel has like legitimate, like Debo Samuel vibes. And I was hearing today um, and, you know, yesterday when I saw the, see, saw the Jags, like, spending all this money I was like well they're gonna have to get rid of some people and I don't know why they're keeping LaVisca if they're giving him all these different weapons and then we saw today 
and I think I tweeted like hashtag free LaVisca. Um, and then we, <laughs> <laughs> we saw today that he is in fact on the market and like you guys, if the Browns sign any other player in free agency, I want it to be LaVisca Chenault so bad. Like if you guys watched any Niners games last year and saw the versatility of Debo Samuel. Oh, I loved in, watching him. In Kyle Shanahan's office, like offense, having that on the Browns um, in a guy who has a slightly different um, athletic profile. Uh, so I would say he's not quite as uh, shifty as Debo, but what he does have is um, strong hands and, and the ability to really actually kind of go up for contested catches in a way that I think actually um, is even a little bit better. And I, I was a huge fan of his when he was at Colorado. I was a huge fan of his, you know, coming uh, out in the draft. I would take him on the Browns in a heartbeat. Okay, I'm sold. You sold me. I'm sold too. <laughs> Go get him. Andrew Barry, I hope you're listening. Go get him. Because, you know, Andrew Barry listens to a podcast. That's right. <laughs> I mean, Britain might, and she might just pass that on for us. Britain, Listen, if, if, listening. if Britain's listening, we have a lot of messages for her tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do, and we're going to get into them. Um, so before we do that, though, we got to go through um, the rest. So um, the other big news today that came from a release standpoint is J.C. Treader. Um, obviously I was at work when a lot of this stuff went down. So I was like catching like the snippets here and there. So I, I know. need you guys, I, I need feel, you guys I feel kind to... of bad. I was like texting you all day every time a move was made. I'm well, like sending texts. No, I appreciate it. it. It helps me like stay in the know of what's going on. I just, I was not really on social media today and, and thank goodness. Like I like love when I don't, I'm, I'm not on social media because you know, you can kind of garner like the reaction. So I need you guys to fill me in on like the overall general feel of this like I I totally get like again like veteran on the team um played pretty much like every single snap um with the Browns like someone that you could really rely on uh, but again like a lot of money I honestly think Nick Harris based on what we saw last year can fill in and with Bill Callahan like, I do I do have faith that this isn't going to be something that is concerning moving forward and I do trust Andrew Barry on this move specifically but I don't know what the vibe was everywhere else so I need you guys to fill me in I I think it was kind of mixed um I know personally I wasn't happy about it I know I saw a lot of other people who weren't super thrilled because I mean not only is he a leader on the team he's a leader on the league in being the president of the Players Association and he you know has been kind of like a voice of reason a lot of times in these press conferences when people would get not like necessarily reporters but when the public would get up in arms about different things, he would lay it out in a very logical way of this is what the players want and why in terms of COVID testing, in terms of player safety and rule changes and everything. So, I mean, he was a great leader on the field. He was a great leader in the league. Um, that This is definitely a cap move. There's um, really, to me, there's no other explanation for it because if they're looking at Nick Harris and thinking that Nick Harris can have the same type of production, he's a heck of a lot cheaper than JC Treader is. So they definitely freed up some cap space uh, with this. So that seems to be the only logical reason why they would do it. Um, I'm severely disappointed though, because I think for a team that can feel fractured sometimes, depending on what's going on, it's really, really nice to know 
that there's, you know, this steady level-headed person that is probably trying to make sure that things stay afloat. Like, he's one of those people. Jarvis is definitely one of those people. I know Miles Garrett is one of those people as well who, you know, are a leader in, in more than one way, both on the field and in the locker room. So I... Like, I guess I understand why they did it from a dollars and cents perspective, but for a team that really wants to have a positive culture, it's not a not the best move. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Meredith that this was 100% a cap move. I'm not really concerned about it from a culture perspective too much. I do, I, I do think there was a huge benefit of having J.C. Treader in the building being the NFLPA president, um, and I think that's because you know, they kind of, A, had a direct line to the union, um, and then also, right, like, he could really easily kind of advocate for um, not just the players around the league, but the players on the team. Um, and, and so there was definitely a benefit to that. I think that the team and the players liked having him there for that reason, and also just because, to your point, Meredith, he was a good guy, um, and he was a – and, yeah, Bree, you're right. He did not miss a snap, which is incredible – considering the fact that he played through injury literally the entire time that he was in Cleveland. And so, um, so I will say this, like, was he going to be able to continue to do that, right. To play through injury? Because my understanding is like, there is no hundred percent healthy. I don't think for JC Treader at this point in his career. And so I think there's a risk there that you can't, that maybe this year he can't do that. And you're spending a lot of money and Nick Harris was always brought in to eventually replace yes. J.C. Treader if mm -hmm. they could get him to a position where they felt like he was not a significant downgrade at the position. And so I think what you're seeing is a vote of confidence in Nick Harris that allowed them to move on from J.C. Treader and free up a lot of cap space. And I, you know, I don't think it was personal in any way. I just think, you know, this is the thing about the Browns being a good team. Um, they're gonna have to pay to keep their most valuable players and to acquire really valuable players at the positions where they have the biggest need. And that means you're going to lose players that are good and you're going to lose players that you really like because they're just going to be casualties of the cap. This isn't a situation that Browns fans have really had to, had to find themselves in, um, you know, it, before because players just wouldn't resign free agent deals. Right. Or, um, you know, the they would, just wasn't good. It's, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so they could, you know, they weren't paying free agents tons of money. And so they could keep around, they could keep the guys they wanted to keep for as long as they wanted to keep them. So it was just, this is a new era. And this is just something that we're going to, you're going to see happen more and more. And I'll miss JC Treader. He's another guy that I wish all the best. But I think, you know, I felt pretty confident after watching him last year that Nick Harris isn't going to be, you're not going to get the same level of production. Don't get me wrong. JC Treader was a technician. Um, he, you could put his film up and teach a class uh, on how to be an NFL center. And um, I think actually uh, Kyle Murphy maybe actually does that uh, as part of his O-line porn uh, <laughs> podcast. He like loves JC Treader so much. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, you're not going to get that same level of protection, um, but I think you're not going to see a significant drop off and you're going to see, you know, fairly, fairly equivalent play for a lot less money. And that was really the deal. Yeah. So I think those were really the the big news in terms of releases and obviously the, the Amari Cooper, 
wow, Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper <laughs> trade. Um, and then something else, like a couple of um, a couple of other things that happened. So Mac Wilson is no longer a Cleveland Brown, and this this is interesting because everyone was speculating on Twitter like a week ago that he was dropping hints, uh, subtweeting, if you will, about being on a different team, moving on potentially from the Browns. But there was a one to one trade with New England for um, defensive end Chase Winovic, who is a Michigan, by the way. My husband is, like, thrilled. He was like, did oh, I hear man. that correctly? Um, and then Mac Wilson will be uh, going to the Patriots, which Browns Twitter, I think if there was a most hated Browns player as of recently, I think Mac Wilson, did he rank up there at number two? Anders, Andrew Sandejo was probably number one over the last couple yeah. of years, and that was probably Mac Wilson. Well, I think the I mean, outside thing of the that people... like there's the quarterback controversy that <laughs> right. just con- well, continues to happen. But I think with Mac was he he talked a lot on social media, <laughs> and initially it got people really hyped because he was so positive and so gung ho for Cleveland, and he was talking Super Bowl, and he was just you know almost acting like a fan. And then he would get on the field, and the production didn't match the words, and I think that immediately soured people when he's talking a big game on Twitter and then he gets out on the field and he's, you know, running in circles. So <laughs> or missing tackles. <laughs> missing tackles. Aww. Like not knowing where he is. So I I feel like his heart is in the right place, but it just he just wasn't working out for the Browns. And I think someone like tweeted at me because I think they thought I'm like a huge Mac Wilson fan. And it's not that like it's not that I was a huge Mac Wilson fan. I just wanted him to be successful yeah. because right. Why would you root against him? Right. Like, you why you, you wanted. I wanted so badly for the play on the field to match up with the big talk on Twitter. That's all I wanted, and it just unfortunately didn't happen. And now he's going to the Patriots. Maybe Bill Belichick can set him straight. Yeah, I think you have a double reclamation project here. Is is what you're. <laughs> Is what you're witnessing. I think two teams had high hopes for yes. for the guys that they drafted. Um, neither of the guys really lived up to those hopes. And I think they decided to swap them and see if the other team could get out of them, you know, what they originally projected from a from a uh, draft uh, projection standpoint. Yeah. Um, I will say this about Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson's a Bama kid. Um, as we all know, like Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are like best friends. I, yeah. you know, I think that Bill, people don't believe that he has soft spots, but I think he does. And I think he does often feel like, oh, I'll bring this Bama kid home. And this mm-hmm. environment is a lot more like the Bama environment. It's very structured and they'll thrive here. Yeah. And that's great. And you know what, again, wish Mac Wilson all the best because I agree with you, Mary. Really, really nice guy. I don't really think he was hated on Twitter so much as he was people wanted to wanted him to like work it out. And it was just like, I don't know, I just always felt like everybody on Sunday was like his dad. Like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just really disappointed. <laughs> um, and like I and so, you know, like so best of luck to him. I think that Chase Winovic um you know, I think, first of all, one-to-one trades are always fun, right? Like, it doesn't happen a ton in the NFL. So, um, and then I think, you know, there 
it's a real interesting situation there. He came into the league as a rookie in 2019. He didn't start. Um, I don't even know if I have games played in front of me, but um, but he had seven sacks his rookie year, um, which was pretty impressive. And then he started in 2020, and like he wasn't, you know, blow your mind good, but he had another six sacks. Uh, he had 29 solo tackles, one forced fumble. Like all of those stats are starting defensive end stats in yep. the NFL. So you're, you know, a, a lot, a lot of really solid production and, and what seems to be growth, right, from his rookie season to his second season. And then last year, it was like the bottom just fell out. Um, and he was a healthy scratch for their playoff game. So, I don't know what happened between Chase Winovic and Bill Belichick, um, but something happened. And so, you know, like hopefully what we see is a fresh start for him and we see a return to the production that seemed to be growing, um, you know, in his first two years in the league. Yeah, I think too what you're saying about the whole like change of scenery can sometimes like it's sometimes all it takes. Right. Where just having a different being in a different building, being with a different coaching staff, like sometimes that's enough, um, even just in day to day life with, you know, going through jobs and the everyday everyday people and what you experience when you've been in in a place for so long and, and you kind of feel like it's not working, it's not working. But then switching to a different role or having a different change of scenery is sometimes all it takes. And then you just get in this groove and it makes sense. So I'm hoping that's what happens for, for both parties, to be honest. I will say so far, I see a higher ceiling for Chase than I do for Mac Wilson. So, oh yeah, I would hope so too. And I will also say like the Browns didn't need linebacker depth. Like Mac Wilson was a, a, a major redundancy last year after we picked up JOK. Um, now there's an asterisk to that on this year because we also had a couple of other inside linebackers who were on one-year uh, yep. deals last year, and I don't know if we're going to end up bringing them back. Like, we're going to have to see, you know, like if Walker comes back and whatever. So, um, you know, Mac Wilson was at a position of, of big-time redundancy for the Browns, which is why you mostly saw him on special teams yeah, last year. Like, yeah, I was going to say he was like a special teams guy for the most yeah. part. Yeah, and um, – and we need defensive line depth. So I think we improved potentially in an area of need and we eliminated an area of redundancy. And yeah, I don't. And you I didn't don't give up have, anything. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's truly no risk. Nope. Um, so the other name coming out of, I think this was yesterday. I can't keep my day straight. I don't even know. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday. Listen, the last like two years have bled together. Yes, correct. But in typical Andrew Berry fashion, um, he did sign defensive tackle Taven Bryan to a one-year $5 million deal. Again, like this is like Andrew Berry's sweet spot. The the Andrew Berry special the is Andrew always Berry those one-year contracts. Yeah, and again, as Nicole mentioned, really a position of need at this point in time um, and something where, you know, I think pre-free agency, we thought that this was definitely something that could be a potential draft pick with that number 13, you know, kind of wavering back and forth between defensive tackle, defensive end, and or wide receiver. Um, so this is a place where I was happy to see them address some of this in free agency, and I hope that this isn't the end of it, to be honest with you. But um, I think still a lot of question marks on the defensive line because we don't know what's happening with Davion Clowney. 
Zach McKinley obviously injured himself. Have no idea. He was also just on a one-year deal. Um, Malik, did I say Malik McDowell? No, I didn't. Malik McDowell, um, obviously we know how that whole situation played out. So this is still, I think, a question mark and where we need some depth and some key starters. Yeah, I definitely think that we needed defensive uh, line play. We need defensive line starters and we need defensive line depth. depth. I know. Um, so, so, and I say that to say, I don't think that this move necessarily precludes any other moves. I think we could still see them sign a defensive line, uh, defensive linemen in free agency. I know that they are still very interested in Von Miller. Um, I know I haven't been on Twitter in a couple hours, but I'm assuming that Von Miller. Von I have been, I've been Miller on Twitter. Miller still available. <laughs> I've been um, off Twitter for the past two or three hours. And let me tell you, it has been glorious. You guys, I will tell you that last night while Pete and I were recording, we were talking about all the players that were left that we were interested in. And like two times in the middle of talking <laughs> about a position group, Pete had to go, oh, shit, that guy's gone now. <laughs> so, so, like, I mean, and this is just kind of the nature of a free agency, right? Like, guys. Yeah, stuff moves uh, fast. Yeah. So, but I would say like Von Miller is a guy that they are definitely um, interested in who is still available. Um, I believe Zadarius Smith is still available and a guy that they might be interested in picking up after his release from Green Bay. Um, when you stop looking past free agents, uh, the Vikings have made some significant moves on their defensive line um, in free agency. And I think that could free up availability for a guy like Danielle Hunter uh, to get traded to the Browns. And we have a very friendly GM up in uh, Minnesota that I think would work well with uh, Andrew Barry, considering the fact that he was on his staff last mm -hmm. year. So, um, so I, I don't think they're done. And I also don't think that they're going to avoid the position in the draft, even if they don't maybe take a defensive lineman at 13. Although I still think that's a real possibility. There's a lot of possibilities in the draft. Oh, let me tell you, like if they go wide receiver in the draft, I would not be upset if they went defense in the, in the draft, I would not be upset. The only position that I would, I wouldn't say upset, but that I would question if they went with at 13 would be quarterback. And that's just because I don't, no, Mary, I, I would we'll, rage. We'll, yeah, we'll have to, like... <laughs> rage. I would, I would rage. Yeah. You guys will so... make Twitter burn. <laughs> well, we can get, so we can get into this more, like, when the draft gets closer. I just don't think that any of the quarterbacks that are in this year's draft are really first-round worthy for the Browns. Yeah, I don't want to do that either. So the yeah, only and that's... quarter... That's what I mean by I would rage is just like, yeah. I don't, I don't think that there is a quarterback in this draft that is worth that 13th pick. Um, and I will also say this, the quarterback class for next year, assuming that the guys that we think are going to come out are going to come out guys like CJ Stroud. Um, we would already have them projected or projected higher than the entire QB class in this draft. So like if you can hang on for a year and get there, um, that's what you want to do. You don't want to have to reach in this draft. It is not a good quarterback class. I'll tell you what, though. I would not hate uh, a Desmond Ritter to the Browns if it's not in the first round. Like, if they got Desmond Ritter in, like, the second round, that would be a steal. And you draft him with the expectation that he's sitting at least one year, if not more. I don't know that he's necessarily NFL ready, but he just killed it 
at Cincinnati. And I think in a really good quarterback room with a good coach and a year on the bench and a lot of learning and growing, like I think that he has a ton of potential in the NFL. So if they went quarterback in like the second round and went for a guy like Desmond Ritter, I wouldn't hate it, but not at 13. Listen, you guys are talking about quarterback right now. And we got to we got to obviously get into yeah. what's been going on as of I mean it's been 4 days. Yeah, why yeah. Are we, why are we um, talking about quarterbacks? Dad, I thought guys. we had one. Let's all this conversation about. Yeah, I know. What have are we riding with six? Okay. I did so, an hour and 40 minute podcast about Baker Mayfield last week. What, what I, I know about? it was great. I really enjoyed it and I was like, "Wow, this is now all null and void." <laughs> I mean, and quite frankly, like there's a very real possibility that all of our quarterback talk could be obsolete by this time. It's 8.30 p.m. on a Tuesday right now. So by 8.30 p.m. Wednesday, everything we have to say could be obsolete depending on what happens tomorrow with the quarterback we're about to talk about. Okay, it's not going to be obsolete because we are three women and we obviously well that part no that's not going to be obsolete <laughs> but just the the the, the quarterback itself yes, correct. is what i'm referring to no but to. i think this is good because i do think we want to get into you know between the three of us Brittany obviously isn't on the show tonight um she hasn't been on twitter you know it's been pretty heavy in in our i think in our worlds um and and this is obviously our perspective our opinions um, and we all enjoy sports. We all love the Cleveland Browns. That's why we're here and talking about this on a random Tuesday night with all of you. Um, but the whole just the Sean Watson thing. Um, so obviously, unless you're living under a rock, you know what's been going on. And the Browns were very vocal in naming Baker Mayfield as their starter going into this season. There was obviously reports coming out of the combine that. Andrew Barry and the Browns met with Baker's reps and reaffirmed that Baker would be the starter. And then obviously with the Deshaun Watson news on Friday and not getting indicted by the grand jury, this started a series of, well, now there's NFL teams seriously considering bringing Deshaun Watson in. And the Browns, unfortunately, I think for all of us, because I don't think any of us really want him um, on the team that we root for, for reasons we will get into. Um, If I had to pick at this point in time, I'm totally understandable for the Cleveland Browns wanting to look at every option and exhaust every option at upgrading the quarterback. Because I think Baker Mayfield at this point in his career is still a question mark for the future. So I totally support that. However, I'm having a very, very hard time swallowing that potential upgrade being Deshaun Watson. Not because of him as a football player. I do think that he is a better football player than Baker Mayfield. I do not think he is a good person. And I think, obviously, 22 women uh, that came forward with accusations of sexual assault... I just really don't understand how people can support him and just brush off all of these claims as either they're lying and they want his money or that because they didn't indict him that he's innocent and should be playing football. I wish this man never took another snap in the NFL and just disappeared from this earth. I'm sorry, but that's where I stand on this as of right now. Me too. And my biggest frustration 
because this is the argument that I hear a lot is the he wasn't indicted therefore he is innocent like that is what okay, people Meredith, are pause. running with because no, we have a lawyer this, on the show yes tonight. this is exactly why I am bringing this up like we need our counselor to to kind of talk about the legal ease side of this because I think there's a lot of things that people get wrong and I don't know if they are getting it wrong because they truly don't know or if they are intentionally getting it wrong to try to justify in their mind wanting Deshaun Watson. So he was not indicted by a grand jury last Friday, but he still has 22 civil cases pending against him. So, Nicole, could you break this down for us, please? I can't. Yeah, I can. I want to say this. So, Brie, I think you... um... I think you brought up two, you know, misconceptions that are really, really common. Um, I think the first one is the likelihood that 22 women are conspiring uh, against Deshaun Watson in a very elaborate lie. Um, And I think that Ken Carmen spoke really Mm -hmm. uh, succinctly uh, to this point on a local Fox News channel uh, last night. Um, But I also, before we get into the legal piece, I want to ground this conversation um, in, like, the seriousness of what we're talking about. Yes, please. No, I'm actually going to flip it back to you because I think sometimes that, sometimes when we jump into the legal stuff too fast... (laughs) Um, we can start to really like almost intellectualize something that for a lot of people is really personal and really, um, really emotional. And so, and, and I think that's actually really, really important here. And so before we kind of jump into the legal piece, I wanted to flip it back to you actually to talk about, um, some of the, uh, statistics around yeah. sexual violence uh, in the U.S. Yeah. So let me just start with sexual violence, sexual assault. Like, what does that even mean? Because I think people just assume that that is like forced sex, rape, if you will. And I just want to be very clear that sexual assault ranges from a wide variety of things. Um, it's an all-encompassing term, and it can range from rape, which is which is obviously insertion against someone's will or, con- like, non-consenting. Um, there is someone that performs a sex act in front of someone else, um, forces someone to do sexual things to them. Um, it could be voyeurism. It can be unwanted sexual pictures. Um, I mean, it, it ranges from a lot of different things, like forcing someone to watch pornography. There's so many things that don't fall under the umbrella of just insertion. I know that that sounds like very technical, but I think in a lot of cases, like that's where people heads go first and foremost. And I want to just ground people in that it's not just that act and only that act because I I'm involved in foster care. And I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but I had to go through pre-service training in order to get certified as one of the many steps in getting licensed. And 
we spent an entire class, an entire four-hour class dedicated to just sexual abuse. And obviously, in this case, it was all in regards to children and what to watch out for if you get a child in your home, like any signs that they may show that they were sexually abused. Because in a lot of cases, children don't know that this stuff is wrong because they are either groomed into thinking that it's okay or they live in fear um, based on the abuser that they're living with. And, you know, for me, it it actually was a little bit eye-opening when they were explaining, like, the different types of abuse that these children go through. And in some cases, it's like forcing a child to watch you undress, um, forcing a child to watch pornography, forcing a child to watch their parents having sexual intercourse. I mean, just awful things that nobody should have to experience, let alone a child. But for some reason, you know, I think if I were to ask anyone on the street, on Twitter, if I would describe any of those instances with a child being forced to do any of those things or, God forbid, participate in an act, they would all say, like, that's 100% wrong. I would find it hard-pressed to find someone that would say, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But when you flip the script and you throw a woman that may be in that situation for some reason— they're not treated the same. And just to ground everyone listening with some statistics here, and all these statistics came from rain.org, um, every 68 seconds, every one minute and eight seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Women and girls specifically experience sexual violence at a higher rate. One out of every six women have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. So think about that for a minute, because I'm sure people listening they can think of six women and think about your six women that you know, and one of them probably has experienced this. Majority of sexual assaults are not reported to police. The vast majority of perpetrators will not go to jail or prison. 97% walk free. Only 31% are even reported to police. Only 5% lead to an arrest. Less than 3% lead to conviction and less than 3% are incarcerated. If you compare this to an assault or a battery case, almost 63% are reported to police. So you're comparing that 63% to only 31% in a sexual assault case and almost 26% lead to arrest compared to the 5% in a sexual assault case. Um, The statistics as to why uh, sexual assault cases aren't reported or they're not acted upon. Um, One of the biggest things is the victim is fear, fearful of retaliation. Um, 13% believe that police wouldn't do anything to help. Um, 13% believe that it's a person, it was a personal matter, you know, brushed it off. 8% reported to a different official. 8% believe they're not important enough. Um, And it just goes on and it's all really, really sad. And then I think the one thing that I just want to point out because this is what I was seeing and reading a lot about when talking about this is that people were automatically saying well these women are lying they just want money this is a statistic go look it up if you don't believe me false reporting is low between two percent and ten percent of false reporting so it's not often that these are false accusations and If that is going to be your excuse and that's what you're going to fall back on, you are sorely mistaken. And the fact that 22 women came forward, I just find it very, very hard to believe that 22 women are lying and are after his money. And specifically, you know, I think it's clearly based on these statistics alone. It's very 
difficult for a lot of people to report this just based on all of these statistics, like not backing up anything actually happening and 97% of the perpetrators walking free. But again, like Deshaun Watson is a powerful man. He is famous. He is well known. He has a lot of money. He can hire the best lawyer. When you're when you're going against someone like that, like these women know that their names are going to be raked through the mud. They're going to be painted out to be horrible women and that they asked for it and that it was consensual and they wanted it and they signed NDAs and all of this stuff and mentally the trauma the ptsd because all of these victims there's all these statistics that back up the mental health side of going through this experience and living with this for the rest of your life you guys nobody asked for this these women didn't ask for any of this they have to live with it and then potentially see it live out in a media setting have their names getting raked through and then ultimately nothing may come out of it So just think about that for a minute. Okay, Nicole, take it from here because obviously with Deshaun Watson specifically, um, the reports obviously like are very similar in terms of the acts and what these women are saying um, and most of them being licensed massage therapists. So um, obviously the grand jury not indicting him. Uh, There still are civil cases and I want to get into like What's going on with this? Help help people understand what is happening. Yeah, sure. So um, so let's talk a little bit about um, both both the civil and uh, criminal side of this. Um, I want to say for the record, because uh, I never want to kind of misrepresent anything. I'm not a criminal attorney, um, and so if someone wants to listen to a criminal attorney uh, talk about this. Um, I really recommend checking out Dan Lust. Uh, He has a podcast uh, called Conduct Detrimental that you can find on Apple or Spotify or whatever. Um, He's on Twitter as Sports Law Lust. Um, And he did an episode um, yesterday, uh, I believe, on this issue. Um, And he was joined by uh, Matt Timpanic, who is a former prosecutor. So if you want to hear a former prosecutor Um, talk about, you know, kind of what was happening in particularly with respect to the criminal cases. Um, I I highly recommend checking out that podcast. I retweeted it today. So if you follow me on Twitter, you should be able to really easily find the link to that podcast. Um, With that said, um, I am a licensed attorney. I'm not going to get legal opinions here, but I am going to kind of just like lay out the facts. Um, We have you guys already said there are 22 uh, civil cases, civil complaints against Deshaun Watson, one for each of the 22 women uh, who are suing him. Um, There has been a lot of speculation about those cases being consolidated under one lawyer. Um, And the belief that that means that this lawyer just went out and Um, found a bunch of women to bring these false claims against uh, Deshaun Watson um, so that he could make money. So um, let me say this. I have no idea what the payment schedule is uh, for these civil cases. I will tell you that it is possible that he took these cases on a contingency basis, which means he only makes money if they make money. Um, But I will also tell you that that's not necessarily how this is working. Um, 
in fact, most of the time, uh, attorneys just charge a retainer and their hourly fee to represent people in civil litigation. With that said, massage therapists don't make a ton of money. So the likelihood that they were gonna be able to afford representation in this case um, was probably only possible if they were able to all kind of chip in to pay the same attorney. Um, even from a contingency basis, um, the likelihood of him getting paid if he takes one case on a contingency is not as high as him getting paid for his efforts if he takes, you know, 22 cases on a contingency, because then, you know, like if eight end up with a jury finding for his client, then that's, that's a better scenario for him in terms of actually getting paid for what uh, he's doing a lot of work right now, regardless what you think um, of his, I guess, uh, strategy, like he's doing a lot of work right now. And so, um, you know, I, th I think it's important to just kind of keep in mind the reality of how unfortunately unaffordable legal counsel can be in this country. Um, and so uh, I think, I don't think that anyone should use that fact as a reason to believe or disbelieve um, the allegations in the complaints, right? Allegations and complaints should be determined based on the outcome at trial if, if they make it to trial. So we have these 22 civil complaints and then we had 10 criminal complaints. Um, out of those 10, uh, and so basically what happens then, right, is, is basically 10 women have filed uh, charges with the Harris County DA's office. Um, of those 10 criminal complaints, it's my understanding that the Harris County DA only subpoenaed uh, eight of those women uh, to appear in front of the grand jury. So if you're subpoenaed to appear, you're required to appear. Um, I will also note there's a lot of misconceptions around uh, grand juries flying around on the internet right now. So let me say this, um, in Harris County, if, uh, well, in Texas really, if Deshaun Watson was going to come up on a misdemeanor, um, you don't have to impanel a grand jury. The prosecutor can just bring those misdemeanor charges um, and then those would have been, those would play out um, either in a settlement or, you know, or a trial scenario. Um, but they brought felony charges. Uh, and so they, in Texas, to bring felony charges, you have to impanel a grand jury. And so that's what they did. Um, what has been, what has been talked about and what I think is very interesting about this particular grand jury hearing is that although my understanding is that eight women were subpoenaed to appear in front of the grand jury, only one of them was actually called to give testimony in front of the grand jury. Um, and evidence regarding the other women was presented um, by video um, of prior recordings of interviews with those women. Um, there's been a lot of speculation, I think within the legal community um, and also a little bit um, in the sports media about why that would play out like that. Um, this is where I'm gonna say again, like I would kind of refer folks to um, more seasoned folks uh, that are prosecutors or criminal defense attorneys. What I can tell you is that's not really normal. Um, usually prosecutors are trying to put on their best possible case um, to a grand jury. Um, a lot of the same kind of rules of evidence and things that apply at trial don't apply in front of a grand jury. And so the prosecutor typically has a lot of latitude to put on 
about as strong of a case as they can uh, put on. Uh, it's why in the legal community, we joke that a grand jury would indict a ham sandwich, um, because typically if the prosecutor wants an indictment, they can get an indictment. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't entirely know what to make of the way that evidence was presented to the grand jury in this case. I, all I can comment on is that it doesn't seem particularly standard uh, to me. Interesting. Um, I'm learning so much. Yeah. So, so let's talk a, a little bit about the no bills, right? So, um, like I said, there were 10 um, criminal complaints filed. There were nine charges put in front of the grand jury and the grand jury uh, returned nine no bills. Does that mean Deshaun Watson is innocent? No. What it means is that the grand jury declined to indict. And when a grand jury declines to indict, what they're saying um, is that they don't think essentially um, that the prosecutor will be able to show at trial beyond a reasonable doubt that the felony that was presented to them was committed. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily that the prosecutor could not have proven a lesser crime, such as a misdemeanor, um, beyond a reasonable doubt. So all the grand jury hears, and I wanna be really, really clear about this, because um, I've also seen a lot of conversation about quote unquote double jeopardy um, <laughs> on, on Twitter the last couple of days. The grand jury hears evidence with respect to specific state crimes and specific victims. So did this crime get committed against this victim? And in nine cases, they basically said, we're not going to indict. We don't think that the prosecutor is going to be able to prove at trial that this crime occurred against this victim beyond a reasonable doubt. It doesn't mean necessarily that the prosecutor couldn't have proven a lesser crime um, beyond a reasonable doubt. So for example, there is felony sexual assault and there's misdemeanor sexual misconduct, right? However, the prosecutor basically had to bring all, all of the um, kind of lesser uh, possible charges, uh, my understanding at least, and if if somebody works in Texas uh, criminal court system and they know better than me, I'm, I'm happy to get corrected here. But my understanding is that uh, the prosecutor really had to kind of bring both the felony and any lesser charges with respect to each of the crimes against each victim um, that was presented in front of the grand jury at that time. And so basically these nine charges that were presented can no longer be pursued. It's not like new evidence can come out um, you know, that, oh, we, we collected new evidence in this case against uh, Deshaun Watson with respect to Jane Doe number five, and now we're going to recharge him with a different crime against Jane Doe number five based on the same set of facts now that we have more evidence. That can't happen. That cool. will be... Just to yeah. pause you there for a minute, because, like, you're saying evidence in, in this case. And I just, like, want to bring up, like, evidence in terms of, like, a sexual assault case would be very difficult to bring to the table outside of it being like a video recording, right? And or, you know, if rape was happened or occurred like a rape kit or something. But like if these women signed an NDA and, and I have no idea, like obviously none of those details have really emerged out of any of this. But, 
you know, they probably weren't recording these these situations, right? Like there's no evidence that could even be presented to prove some of this stuff, correct? It's it's the word. It's it's their word. Right. And that's I mean, and to be honest, it's highly possible that the reason that the grand jury found um, or decided not to indict was not because uh, there was no evidence that a crime had been committed. It's just that there wasn't sufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in their mind that the prosecutor would be successful in proving that the crime was was committed beyond a reasonable doubt. So to your point, in a, in a lot of these situations, you're talking about a room with two people in it, the alleged suspect and the victim. You're talking about a room that doesn't have video cameras in it. So you're literally talking to your point, like, I don't think any of the allegations were um, like genital penetration. And so, and we probably should put a note on this mayor that this might not be a great podcast for kids. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, there's probably not a lot of physical evidence to go off of in these cases. And so you're really in a lot of scenarios looking at a he said, she said, and it is highly possible that the grand jury just felt like that was that that was going to be a real uphill battle for the prosecutor when it came to trial. Um, It's possible that the to be honest, it's highly possible that the prosecutor thought it was going to be an uphill battle when it came to trial. And a lot of prosecutors, for better or for worse, are elected officials and they do not like to prosecute crimes that they crimes that they can't win. I was going to I was going to ask you that because obviously I don't have a lot of experience in law. I'm not a lawyer at, by any means, but I have been involved in the foster care and family law a little bit. And just my experience in that case is very similar where bio parents are given a, a court appointed lawyer. And obviously, like, you know, the court is giving them this lawyer. They're not paying for it. And in a lot of cases, you know, it's it's pretty much just the lawyer getting information from the parent as to what's going on. And then children's services, having a lawyer and going in and bringing their testimony and bring it. It's a it's just very interesting to me because, again, this kind of goes to like that power struggle, too, with like Deshaun Watson can afford the best in the business. And these women and he got it. He got it to be clear, like Rusty Harden is extremely well known um, in the Houston legal community. Um, He's definitely a high powered defense attorney. Yeah. yeah. So which is not necessarily to say anything negative about Rusty Harden either. It's just to kind of he's good at his job. Right. Yeah. To your point, like there's just there's just somewhat of a disparity there. Um, But yes, prosecutors, particularly prosecutors who are elected officials, their win rate means a lot to them. And so they do not like to bring, um, they do not like to go to trial on cases that they do not think that they are going to win. And these cases, I mean, you pointed, you gave us the stats, Brie, about not just the percentage of these cases that are reported or the percentage of people who are actually arrested, but the percentage of conviction and um, incarceration is- Slow, so low. It's under 3%. So if I'm a prosecutor and I'm an elected official and my win rate is really important to me um, in order for me to maintain my office, and this is a case that is going to be an extremely uphill battle to win, you know, like. Why take that on? Why am I why am I doing this from like from a career standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. From a career standpoint, I, I don't think that that's a good move. And, you know, again, this. So this, I will say, is complete speculation. But you could potentially speculate that that is why 
uh, the evidence that was presented to the grand jury was maybe not the most compelling uh, version of that evidence, right? Like why didn't, why maybe they didn't call more witnesses in front of the grand jury. Grand jury proceedings are secret. So I don't know. And we will, to be clear, we will never know. So, um, so yeah, so, but, but let me say this. So yes, the grand jury didn't indict. No, that does not mean he's innocent. It means the grand jury did not believe that the prosecutor would be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt at trial that Deshaun Watson committed those particular crimes against those nine women. Um, but does that mean he's innocent? No. And does that mean legal proceedings are over? No. Um, first of all, 10 women filed criminal complaints. There's 12 women who have not filed criminal complaints who could still file criminal complaints. So that do I know if that's going to happen? Do I think that's likely to happen? I don't know. Yeah. But it is something that's still out there. It's still possible. That would not be, quote unquote, double jeopardy, because, again, you're looking at different victims, a different crime. Um, also, the federal government can bring charges. So this was a state uh, legal proceeding. Um, most sexual assault cases are tried at the state level under state law. However, um, there are certain cr federal crimes uh, related to sexual misconduct, and it is possible, probably not super likely in this particular case, but it is possible that the federal government could bring criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. Um, and then I think outside of that, we still have 22 pending civil complaints. And I think one of the things that has kind of irked me uh, this week is people acting like these civil complaints are somehow like a lesser um, legal, I don't know, situation than the criminal complaints. So we have different mechanisms for recourse in our society, right? If you commit a crime, then the state brings a complaint against you. I know I was talking about women bringing charges. Those women bring charges to the state. The state chooses to bring them against the suspect. If the state doesn't, the women can bring the complaint themselves. And that's what we're talking about with these civil complaints. You still go through a legal process, right? Like you still have to present evidence. You still have to sit in front of a jury. You still have to convince a jury in, in a civil situation by a preponderance of the evidence that the person is um, liable for what you're accusing them of. And if they're liable, then they have to pay damages. So it is still highly possible that Deshaun Watson is going to go through these civil proceedings and a jury will find by a preponderance of an evidence. So like in layman's terms, think like it's 51% or more likely that Deshaun Watson committed uh, these, uh, uh, I mean, in most cases here, we're talking about torts that he's been accused of and that he has to pay damages to these women to make them whole for the harm that he has caused them. So yes, there's a different standard of evidence that you have to reach in a civil proceeding, but it's not any less of a legitimate legal proceeding than a criminal trial. This was very eye-opening. So thank yes. you. Thank you. For yes. Thank you so much. Because that's been my biggest frustration when I hear people talking about this. Like, I think the one statement that I have heard that kind of triggers me is, well, he wasn't indicted by a grand jury. Therefore, he's not a criminal. And I'm just like it. 
Like, it's so ignorant. And that was, to me, I feel like people are, that that's the type of argument that someone uses when they're trying to justify their desire for Deshaun Watson and trying to not sound like a bad person or sound like someone who doesn't care about sexual assault victims is, well, he's not a criminal. And it's like, it, but it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't really matter because there's still other things in the legal system that could happen as was just laid out by you, Nicole. So I'm really, really glad we had you on to sort of clear this up and, and talk about this because I think it's really, really important for people to hear these things and to understand what is going on and to not sit here and try and toss around legal terms as if they have a degree from Harvard Law, you know? Which, to be clear, I do not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, but... I but do have, do however, have... a very legitimate law degree from another <laughs> yes. excellent, upstanding uh, university <laughs> in the state of Ohio. Um, I will say, too, guys, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the legal aspect of this, but there's also a very extra legal aspect to this, which is the NFL is still conducting their own I was going to say that. I was like, we yes. haven't even talked about the NFL's position in all of this and what that means. And why have they drug their feet? Like, they've known about this for a year now, right? So I will say this about the NFL. They are incredibly reactive. Ugh. They have never been proactive on anything. Yeah. And this is an unprecedented situation because Roger Goodell has never had one of his stars <laughs> have this level of legal action taken against them. So the NFL is in a position where they don't want to affect their bottom line. And if they lose a star, that can affect their bottom line. And when you don't have a precedent for a situation, then they have no way to figure out what the right thing to do is. And I took like one law class when I was an undergraduate. It was a requirement for, for my degree and it was uh, a communications law because there are a lot of federal regulations and laws and lawsuits that surround media and journalism and specifically broadcasting and what one of the things that i learned and nicole you can correct me if i'm wrong or if i'm misrepresenting this in any way is that a lot of times when you're arguing a case people will use previous cases as an example and saying well this is what happened in this lawsuit and this is a similar situation in this lawsuit therefore this is the the course of action that we should take and i feel like the nfl kind of operates in that same headspace of well this is what happened before and this is how we handled it so we're gonna move forward handling it the way we did before but they've never had a top 10 quarterback with nine criminal allegations and 22 civil suits brought up against them so it's it's an unprecedented situation and Roger Goodell doesn't like to set precedents, you know, they like to be reactive. They like to, you know, toe a certain line and follow a certain path and something like this, there's no path for it. And I think that's one of the reasons why the NFL is dragging their feet on this. 
Yeah, I would agree. They definitely don't like to set precedent. The really funny thing, Meredith, is the the concept you're describing is literally called legal precedent. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, the idea of, say, for example, like someone brings a claim in the state of Ohio and Ohio's like, wow, we've literally never decided this legal issue before. But you know what the state of Michigan did? Let's go look and see what they did. And the state of Louisiana did. Let's look and see what they did. And they kind of like gather evidence to your point about like, well, what's like the most common way that other states might handle this type of case? And that seems reasonable and we'll do what the vast majority of other folks are doing. Um, So like not just the NFL, like our legal system doesn't really like to like, you know, go way out on a limb um, and take a different course very often. Um, And the NFL definitely doesn't either. I I will say like, you know, I've heard a lot and, and whether you think this is valid or not, I've heard a lot this week that the two scenarios that we're probably looking at for comps here are um, Ezekiel Elliott's case uh, where there were no criminal charges um, and he had a six game suspension. And then Ben Roethlisberger's case again, where there were no criminal charges and he had a six game suspension. But I do agree with you, Meredith, that in this case, um, the 22 civil lawsuits uh, are going to be, uh, an interesting factor, A, from a volume standpoint, right? Uh, we've never had uh, this many uh, people complain about one athlete before in this way. Um, and then uh, I think there's also, I think they're going to hang back. I think that they want to see, you know, the NFL does have its own investigatory power over athletes, Um under the collective bargaining agreement, but they're not um, a court system and they're not a police department. Yeah. Um, and so the, it's a, a, a large degree, the NFL really relies in a lot of cases on uh, those, those institutions to do a lot of their investigatory work for them. And so it would not surprise me at all if we saw the NFL hang back to see what information comes out of these civil complaints, not just because they don't want to be reactive, but just because this is probably their best um, uh, avenue for obtaining more information. Yeah, that makes, I mean, it makes sense. Like, I'm pretty hard on the NFL, but like, I also understand, like, they aren't a police department, like they aren't a court system, like they're in a completely different business. And unfortunately, some of the people that they employ have run-ins in the law. And I don't know how they can do anything else, but like, see how this plays out. And so yeah, they that- can't, they don't have subpoena power, right? right? Exactly. The, NFL, you know. the NFL can't compel anyone to show up and testify about right. anything. So, you know, like I said, a lot of times, you know, and talking to the NFL isn't on the record, right? It's not a crime to lie to the right. NFL. Uh, it is a crime to perjure yourself in a deposition. So, you know, like it doesn't really surprise me that they kind of rely on uh, on the legal and judicial process yeah. in order to gain a lot of this information. Yeah. And uh, by the way, guys, these civil suits, they are not short. Yeah. Well, good. I, I mean, this okay, is going to uh... take. This is going to take a long time. Well, I was you I, could I potentially was you could potentially see Deshaun Watson play and then get suspended. Well, I was wondering about that because obviously all these all these teams that are in play or front runner front runners in wanting to trade for him, 
they obviously are trying to find out as much information as possible, right? But we don't know how this is all going to play out. So there is a possibility that the teams that are making a play for him and the Browns being a potential player in all of this, you know, you're potentially giving up the farm to get him. There's a no trade clause involved as well. So you're kind of putting yourself out there knowing that regardless of how good your offer may be or how you feel about it, Deshaun Watson can say, no, I don't want to go there. And, you know, so you're not only risking assets that you have, but there's also this whole situation of, well, clearly, regardless of the situation and how we feel about Deshaun Watson and the Browns pursuing him, it does feel like they've made it very clear that they don't really believe in Baker Mayfield. So before we get to the Baker Mayfield discussion, because yeah. we do have a lot to say about it, one of the things, if I am a general manager, if I'm Andrew Barry, or if I'm John Robinson, or if I'm any other general manager in the NFL, one of the things that I would be so wary of is exactly what Nicole said, in that Deshaun Watson could start on yeah. the first game of the, of the year, but then get suspended later. So if you are in a situation where the Browns are, where they have a Super Bowl window that could potentially be rapidly closing, why would you sell the farm for someone who may not even be able to play a full season? Like, to me, I don't think that, like, my personal feelings aside, yes, I don't think it's worth well, it to like try and give up all of this, all of this, that's what I'm also for a quarterback about. that may not yeah for a quarterback that may not even be there like could the Browns win a Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson sure if he played 17 games but you don't know and I know that every report that comes out is saying well every team is taking into account the fact that Deshaun yeah you're taking into account but if you're looking at a 17 game season like are you saying that if like let's say Deshaun Watson has a Ben Roethlisberger type punishment from the NFL and he's suspended for six games and he serves the full six games. Are you telling me that you're looking at this season and saying that you think that you could win with your starting quarterback being suspended for six games? That's absolutely absurd to me. And I just think it's, it's, it's a really, really bad look, especially for a team like the Browns that is trying to go for a Super Bowl. that want, like, I, and I understand that you want to find a quarterback that's going to get you there. But if you don't know if your quarterback is even going to be on the field for all 17 games, that just, that it does not feel like the reward is worth the risk. I don't know, Meredith. I think you probably have some bias in all of this because I think the arguments I'm seeing from people that are kind of throwing all these, you know, allegations or whatever out the window is that they're saying like Ben Roethlisberger then eventually went on to win a Super Bowl, two Super Bowls. And he rode off into the sunset and this never came up again, right? He yeah, rewrote, yeah, oh my God. He all rewrote of the, all himself. Of the farewell he, letters yeah, to Ben Roethlisberger. And, and like he this became year. this my family God. man and he found God. And like he had, I mean, he probably owes an insane amount of money to whoever helped with his PR. Whoever. Oh, yeah. Helped. He, I guarantee you, he paid out the wazoo for a public relations department to reshape yeah. his image. There is no doubt in my mind that he probably spent Kardashian, like the amount of money that Kardashians spend on plastic surgery. That's probably what he spent on a, on a public relations assistant or, or firm 
right. to revamp his image. Yeah, well, because, no doubt in my mind. And I think people are saying, like, even if he gets suspended, like, long, he's still so young and, you know, his talent is there that, like, regardless of the suspension, you know, I, I don't think people are thinking it's going to be years of suspension based on some of the other things, Nicole, that you were comparing earlier in terms of the number of games um, that people are saying, like, even with a suspension – some type of suspension, it's still going to be worth it in the long run because you're going to have them for another 10 to 15 years. So people are just willing to throw all of that out the window, mortgage the farm. Nobody cares about anything. As long as you can get this quarterback who has all these horrible things um, and all these civil lawsuits against him, as long as he can win a Super Bowl. Like, that's all yeah. that anyone cares about right now. Morals point. go out the window as long as you win a football game, right? Yes, like, so you're that willing seems to give to up be, everything, yeah. including your morals, to get this man. Yeah, I, I, I would say that I agree with you, Bree, that people are probably, from a fan perspective, willing to take, you know, a six-game suspension for what they believe is a long-term uh, winning opportunity. Um, I will also say this, like, uh, Bree, you live at, pretty close to Pittsburgh and you work in Pittsburgh, yes. and so I think you see a very Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> Uh, friendly fan base sure on, a, on a regular basis. But I will say this. Statistically speaking, um, Ben Roethlisberger should have received the send-off, like the ride into the sunset that we saw for guys like Drew Brees and Tom Brady when he retired for five minutes. Um, and you didn't. Um, yeah, there was some fanfare, but it wasn't at that level. And it's because his name will always have an asterisk next to it. You heard a lot about his play. You heard nothing about Ben Roethlisberger, the great human. Right. Um, and you're and you're not going to. There will always be um, an asterisk next to next to his name um, and his and his on field play. Um, I will also add this um, to your point, Mayor, about the NFL being very reactive. It is highly possible that information comes out over the course of these civil suits that is incredibly uncomfortable. I don't think a ton of people have actually gone in and read uh, these complaints. Um, they're uncomfortable to read, um, but I want you to imagine what that starts to look like if there's a uh, like a, if there, if you start to read transcripts of witness testimony, or you hear witnesses or victims speaking outside on courtroom steps about things that happened to them, um, you know, the NFL originally suspended Ray Rice for what two games? Yeah, I think so. And then the video mm -hmm. came out, and the backlash and the reaction was so huge that they had to go back. And because again, remember, we're not talking about a legal process. They can do whatever they want. They can suspend for as long as they want. And to your point, guys, like the thing that they care about more than anything else is the shield, right? Protecting the shield. And that translates, not, not even loosely, directly translates into the ability to make money yeah. for the owners, right? Um, you know, there's a scenario in which there's a six game suspension um, or not or, a, you know, not a suspension at first because they're waiting for more information. 
but they assume that the teams are kind of like, eh, based on the information we have from previous situations, six games is what we're probably willing to bet on. And then you don't know, right? You don't know what ends up being in the media as these civil cases progress. And do I think it's possible that if the public outrage continues to grow, the NFL ends up taking a much harder position against Deshaun Watson for sure. So I don't know if that will happen, but I can I could see it happening if that's the direction that the civil lawsuits started to go in. Um, so, and, and I say all of that to just say to your point, Bree, that I think teams that are um, putting together massive packages of draft capital and players for this guy are taking a huge, huge risk. Um, and somebody made a point to me today that were like, don't you think the Browns lawyers have signed off on this? It's not like the team would do it if their lawyers didn't sign off on it. And I was like, listen, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but I am an in-house corporate attorney. Let me tell you how this situation plays out. I walk into a room and I say, the risks here are huge. <laughs> Huge, huge, huge. And the range of possible outcomes ranges all the way from literally nothing happens. There is zero suspension. The civil lawsuits turn out like not a big deal. And like, you're totally fine to like this whole thing blows up in your face and you end up spending an obscene amount of capital for a player who will never play for your team. That's the range of outcomes that we're looking at. And I can't pinpoint for you where we're going to fall on that spectrum. My recommendation would be not to do this. It's too much risk and the reward is uncertain. And guess what the business gets to do in that moment? Whatever they want. Whatever they <laughs> want. So no, nobody in the Browns legal department for sure signed off on this. I don't even know, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. I don't know exactly what they said, but what I can tell you is it's not their job to sign off on anything. It's their job to present Jimmy Haslam, D Haslam, Andrew Barry, whoever with the possible risk and then it's up to those guys because it's their team to make a decision about what they want to do. Can I ask yeah. you guys a question? Sure. What is going to happen from a quarterback perspective with the Browns, though? Because all this information's out there, right? Like, there, there's plane tracking happening yesterday. There was confirmation. Oh, my God, and, the plane <laughs> tracking. And people need to, like, what? Do, people just don't have, like, I don't have time. I barely have time to eat during the day. And people are tracking random-ass airplanes. But whatever, you do you guys. Um, but the plane tracking... Then the reports were confirming the Browns were going to meet with him today. But, like, at this point in time, like, if you're Baker Mayfield, if this all falls through, is Baker Mayfield on the team regardless of a Deshaun Watson being on the Browns? Like, who is the Browns quarterback this season? Man. Like, so... what? Is this relationship with Baker and the Browns now just too completely gone to even think that he's a viable option going into the season? So I think there are a, a few scenarios that can come out of this situation either. And this is what I think is the least likely because this is this would be very out of character for Andrew Barry. But by going and meeting Deshaun Watson and making it very, very public, 
they could be putting a chip on Baker Mayfield's shoulder because that seems to be the only time he's ever really succeeded is when he has a real chip and not, you know, the manufactured chips that he's had for the past four years in Cleveland. But like I said, I feel like that is the least likely scenario because that type of, I don't want to call it pettiness, but that type of attitude is not what Andrew Barry is about. It's not what Kevin Stefanski is about. So I don't think that they're out there like trying to piss off Baker Mayfield. That is a possible scenario. I don't think it's likely. The other thing that this could be saying is the Browns are out on Baker Mayfield, despite the fact that they said he is our starting quarterback. This could be an indication that they don't have faith in him and that they don't have faith that he could bring the teams to a Super Bowl. And then the third scenario that I could see out of this is they're banking on the NFL suspending Deshaun Watson. So if they do wind up bringing Deshaun in in some way, shape or form, then Baker Mayfield is effectively a very expensive backup and a backup that can win games. All three of these scenarios are awful. They are all awful. I think the likeliest of the three is probably that the Browns just don't have faith in Baker Mayfield anymore. He is in his fifth year. Um, You know, if he doesn't play for his life, then he's going to have to find a team that wants him in free agency because if he doesn't play for his life, I don't know that the Browns would spend the money to franchise tag him. Could they? Sure. You know, there could be a Kirk Cousins situation here where he keeps getting franchise tagged and franchise tagged and franchise tagged. But, you know, if Baker Mayfield has another season in 22, like he did in 21, if I'm Andrew Barry, I'm not making that deal. And, you know, then he's set to the wolves in in free agency. So I think that scenario two is likely. And knowing how Baker Mayfield is with grudges, he very rarely lets a grudge go. So if you have wronged him, he's not going to forget it. And if he perceives you as wronging him. So if he's looking at the Haslam's going down to Houston to meet with Deshaun Watson, if he is looking at this saying, this is a situation where I am being wronged, he's not going to forget it. And it's not going to work out well for anyone. And it's just, I don't like the spectacle that has been surrounding the Houston visits today. It's speaking of uncomfortable. I just think it's uncomfortable as a Browns fan to see a regime that said Baker Mayfield is our guy. He is our starting quarterback in 2022. You know, we know what's on the line. He knows what's on the line. And then you go out in free agency and you see them doing things to remove all doubt. Cause that has been one of the biggest frustrations with Baker Mayfield in 2021 is, you know, was he playing poorly because he's a bad quarterback or was he playing poorly because of his injury or was it a combination of both? You know, if he is fully healthy, is he going to have another, you know, 20, 2020 year, you know, and, and that's the type of thing is that there's too many question marks surrounding him 
And when you go out in free agency and get people like Amari Cooper, that's giving him a weapon that's going to make him look good. When you sign Nick Chubb to a four-year contract, that's getting him a weapon that's going to make him look good. That's the whole idea of removing all doubt. So you can see Baker in his true form and how he's going to be. And that's what a lot of these free agent moves said to me over the weekend. Getting Amari Cooper said to me, okay, let's see what Baker can do when we're giving him a top-tier wide receiver And then there's this massive spectacle of going down to Houston. And I'm like, well, are you getting Amari Cooper because you want to give Baker the best shot he has to prove himself? Or are you getting Amari Cooper because it would be more attractive for Deshaun Watson? Because Deshaun Watson still has a no trade clause in his contract. So if Cleveland wants him, Deshaun Watson has to agree to come here. So the whole spectacle is just... I don't think it's good for anybody at all. Hey, Mayor, while we've been uh, talking here, uh, Pro Football Network put out uh, an article, and I think uh, Uh Tony Pauline, one of their analysts, uh, was talking to Trey Wingo, I believe, and um, basically said that it was his understanding that Jimmy Haslam uh, has been the driving force in the Browns' attempt to bring Watson to Cleveland as he believes the soon-to-be former Houston Texan is the missing piece of the Super Bowl puzzle. Um, I will just say that it is astonishing to me that Jimmy Haslam has not learned his lesson to stay out of football operations. Right. I was going to say, is this shocking? Are we shocked? This This feels very much like Hugh Jackson all over again, where you had Sashi Brown and, you know, uh, Paul D. Podesta all swimming in one direction, making a recommendation about a head coach, Jimmy Haslam deciding that he knows better and it all blowing up in his face. You would think that maybe a lesson had been learned and it seemed to have been considering how autonomously he has been letting um, Andrew Berry and Paul D. Podesta and Kevin Stefanski kind of operate things uh, in the short term, but apparently just can't help himself. So, um, you know, with that said, uh, they are also reporting that Andrew Barry has reached out and promised to work with Baker Mayfield's team to send him to a place of his choosing, if at all possible. And that if Mayfield had his choice, that place would be Indianapolis. Um, and so, uh, let me say this Baker's not stupid. I'll give him that. That is a team that desperately needs a quarterback after getting rid of Carson Wentz. That is a team with a good roster that was on the cusp of going to the playoffs this year. And that is a team that plays in a pretty damn easy division. So um, if I'm Baker Mayfield and I want the best opportunity to prove a whole bunch of people wrong, uh, Indianapolis is probably a pretty good place for him to go try to do that. Um, So then here's this scenario. So what if Deshaun Watson decides that he does not want to come to Cleveland? So all this dog and pony show is for nothing. And then Baker Mayfield gets his wish and say gets traded to Indianapolis. Like what we're going to win a Super Bowl with Case Keenum. No, you're not winning. You're not winning a Super Bowl next year. 
Yeah, I, I, like I want to be. Yeah. I want to be really clear, and I, and I will say no. I do not think that they got Amari Cooper for Baker Mayfield, and I don't think they got Amari Cooper for Deshaun Watson because I don't think that that's how Andrew Barry operates. They got Amari Cooper because they think he's going to make the Cleveland Browns a better team in a run to a Super Bowl, and I think that's how they pick all of their players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And but, the annoying thing with Jimmy Haslam being so insistent on this, and I kind of had a feeling, because, like, I don't know if any other owners are going out and meeting with Deshaun Watson. Oh, David whatever. Tepper from, okay, the, so he did. from yeah. North Carolina is un, is supposedly, <laughs> supposedly said Deshaun Watson can pick his next head coach if he doesn't like Matt oh, Rule. My God. Who knows if... Who knows, oh, my God. Who knows if that rumor is true, okay. but it is something so, that was flying out there. This is something that I feel like NFL owners and just sports team owners in general need to get through their head because this has also been an issue in Washington with Dan Snyder because he like he wanted RG3 so badly when what was it 2011 or 2012 I think so he wants RG3 the front office doesn't have faith in RG3 so they draft Kirk Cousins in the same year and that blew up the quarterback room in Washington like it was not good like if you are a sports team owner, your job is to write checks and your job is to hire people who know what they're doing. Like if like, let's say I had endless amounts of money, like let's say I have Elon Musk money and I go and I buy Mac cosmetics. Do I like makeup? Yes. Do I use makeup? Yes. Do I know a lot about makeup? No. My job as the owner of Mac Cosmetics would be to hire people who know what they're doing in the world of co- of cosmetics. That is what your job as an owner is in a football team. You may like football and be a huge fan and, you know, have knowledge about the game. That's great, but your job is to hire the smart people and to write them checks. And that's what Andrew Barry is and that's what Kevin Stefanski is. That's what Paul D Podesta is. They are these smart people who know and understand football who know and understand analytics jimmy haslam is not that guy and it's like i was oh, so you frustrated egos. you got egos oh my god and i was lots very frustrated i was frustrated when i was living in dc and covering the washington football team and still frustrated about it because you know that's my hometown team and i want to cheer for them but it's hard dan snyder makes it hard to want to cheer for them because he just he's such a bad person and runs a, like and does bad things within his organization and i just I'm sorry, like this, I I got set off. I got set off because that just, if you are the owner, you are not the football guy. You are not the football person. Shut up. Yeah, right. Like if I go, (laughs) like, yeah, if I go and buy any type of company, like if, if I buy Kellogg's, I don't know much about cereal. I'm gonna hire people who know about cereal. I just consume cereal, you know? And I just feel like, I don't know. He just when, can't when help the owners... himself. And and here's what I would I say. Know. I just saw this from Diana Racine. So I'll, I'll say this really quickly. But she tweeted this about an hour ago. The first step of the Saints, Panthers, and Browns in arranging a meeting with quarterback Deshaun Watson was presenting a trade package to the Texans per multiple league sources. Once Houston approved, only then did they meet. So obviously, whatever package was put together from the Browns, Houston at least liked what they were putting on the table. So that is also interesting. So um, again. You know, as Nicole mentioned, Jimmy Haslam, I think, has more of a an influence as to all of this going down. And, and 
I would actually start to question if this is an Andrew Berry thing. And I will tell you that that contradicts um, other reports around the Browns offer that I heard a day or two ago. And it's highly possible that they submitted an offer and were laughed at and very kind of very kind of similar to like, oh, guess that AJ McCarron trade didn't go through oh, on yeah. time. Um, I think it's possible that they submitted an offer because they were told to submit an offer. They knew it was never going to be accepted. And this time it was no, 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 no. You're going to go, you're going to go back and you're uh-huh. going to try again. And so, you know, like, listen, again, I want to be clear. There are things that I've said on the, today that are just facts. That is complete speculation. Like, I don't right. know if that's what happened, but I will tell you this, Mayor, if we want to get into what are the Browns going to do about a quarterback next year? Um, your options are real limited right yeah. now. They're so limited because there are like, more, there are more teams than there are winning quarterbacks. <laughs> and that is so insane to me because I feel like one of the hardest jobs in the country to get and in any industry in and just if you are an American living in America or if you're just, or even if you're you're an immigrant living here if you live in America and if you are working in America the hardest job to get is NFL quarterback because only 32 positions starting NFL quarterback because only 32 positions exist to be a starting NFL quarterback so the fact that we don't we're looking at the landscape and saying we don't see 32 high quality Super Bowl caliber quarterback. Like we're looking at this because the the ones that are there, you know, are already locked in. Like you've got Aaron Rodgers locked in to Green Bay. You know, Tom Brady is probably going to be locked into Tampa Bay. Like you're looking at this and saying there aren't enough quarterbacks available for what we want to do. Like, did we ever think that we would get to a point where, where we're looking at this league and we're seeing a dearth of quarterbacks? I mean, I don't know about I don't know about that, but I think everybody needs to start getting really comfortable with some pretty like unpleasant truths. That like if 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 Deshaun Watson isn't a Brown next year, which by the way I find to be that idea to be an extremely unpleasant possibility, (laughs) but if he isn't, um, and Baker Mayfield also isn't, um, you might be watching Nick Mullins play quarterback for the Browns <laughs> for 17 games. I'm not like, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic and I'm not trying to be like a How shock doc. I'm, I'm like, I, this is, you guys, this is, listen, what I will say is this here, here is the downside to this. The downside to this is you have a roster ready to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Rex Grossman, but like, and Nick Foles, that's not happening with Nick Mullins. Like it's not. No. So, so you're you're basically chalking next year up to a lost year. The potential upside to that is this. If you don't spend the capital on Deshaun Watson, and if you get to trade Baker for some amount of capital, and I would expect it to be I would expect it to be decent. And here's why. The Browns don't have to trade Baker Mayfield. They can choose to because he wants to go, but they don't have to. Baker does, however, have to play next year because he's on Mm -hmm. the last year of his rookie deal no matter where he plays, and he has to prove to everyone that last year was a result of an injury and not because he can't play football in the NFL. So they don't have to trade him, and if they don't trade him, he has to walk himself out there and do a damn good job next year regardless because he doesn't really have a choice. Um, 
I don't think that that's a situation that they want to be in because I think they like being known as a player friendly team. I think we saw that when OB with the way they handled OBJ leaving. Um, but, but I think the upside to that could potentially be that they get a fairly decent amount of capital in return for Baker Mayfield, particularly from a team uh, like the Indianapolis Colts who literally do not have a quarterback uh, to start for them right now. Uh, they're kind of in that Nick Mullins type situation. So you take that draft capital, you take the draft capital you already have, and you package it all up and you sell the farm for CJ Stroud or for whoever you decide is the number one quarterback in the 2023 draft. Next year is kind of a wash and we get to start again with our number one guy in 2023. God, I hate that scenario too, though, because anytime you bring in a rookie quarterback, that's your best you, case scenario. Yeah, you're kind of like, you're kind of starting over. Yeah. And I think that's, the, that's the one thing that this. You're not here though, because you're putting him yeah. in a completely different position than you're right. than you put Baker. And he's got an excellent roster around him. He's incredibly cheap so they can keep that roster intact and he's presumably coming in to the exact kind of stable coaching and organizational environment that Baker didn't get a chance to come into. Right. No, and, and I understand where you're coming from that. It's just, I think from a Browns fan perspective, it's it's difficult because you're looking at that jersey, you know, that has 28 names on it in the past 20 years. And you just don't want Baker Mayfield to be another, you know, notch on the belt. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you don't want, you know, you don't want Baker Mayfield to be another brick in the wall. Yeah. You know, like Joe Thomas, like, I forget what he was doing. He was on some kind of like NFL network special. And this was like in 2019. And like he was asked a trivia question. He was asked to name every quarterback that he ever blocked for. And the list was like he did not have enough fingers and toes to, <laughs> to list all the quarterbacks that he blocked for throughout his career. And I think that's. From a fan perspective, I think that's one of the reasons why people want Baker Mayfield to work so badly, because when he was drafted number one overall, that was the idea was that he was he was going to be the solution. He was going to be the long term quarterback. He was going to be the name and the face of the Cleveland Browns for the next 10 to 15 years. And to be in this situation where you're just like, OK, maybe we need to take a step back in 2022 and try again in 2023. God, like not getting any younger here. Yeah. I don't know guys. Well, we'll have to, uh, we'll obviously have a lot of who knows, who knows if we're going to know anything tomorrow at some point, but we're going to know soon enough, uh, over the next couple of months, at least where everything's heading. Um, but this was a long episode and I'm so happy we got to talk about this. Um, cause I think from a, female perspective I thought it was important that we actually share where we stand on all of this and have some yes. discussion points that I haven't necessarily heard um, from a lot of other podcasts radio shows um, or whatnot that that probably don't have the same type of um, thoughts and feelings about the whole situation just in general so Nicole thank you for coming on thank you for all of your insight in regards yes, to yes thank you so much and enlightening all of us and our <laughs> listeners on facts uh versus a lot of stuff flying around the internet from you don't like twitter lawyers guys the twitter, twitter lawyers, lawyers. Crack yes. me up. Yes. listen the only twitter lawyer i trust is you nicole and then i have another friend that uh i well i have like one or two other friends that i went to undergrad with who both 
went to law school and have very prestigious uh, degrees and jobs in the legal profession currently. So I will trust them and I will trust you. That's Nobody right. else on, no other Twitter lawyer. And then, you know, the the people that I hear saying, oh, he didn't get indicted, therefore he's not a criminal. And I'm so, so glad, Nicole, that you brought up the idea of, you know, just because and, and, and went through the nitty gritty of what a grand jury involves because i have been trying to say forever that just because you're not indicted doesn't mean you're innocent and i think you have put into words beautifully what i've been trying to argue so thank you so much for doing that for us thank you so much for uh loaning us your legal mind we really appreciate it yeah Yeah, and thanks for having me on this was uh it's always fun to teach a uh evening law school class (laughs) um and and, uh and no it's always really fun to hang out with you guys yes and mayor meredith thank you for joining tonight as well uh we miss Brittany as always we hope that she comes back soon um but for everyone asking you know she's on a little bit of a hiatus so uh keep her in your thoughts uh we're gonna manifest Brittany coming back eventually um but again thanks nicole for filling in you guys can find her on twitter at browns underscore babe and then she's got a podcast with friend of the show pete smith for pete's sake so you guys find her there you can listen to more of her wonderful insight and analysis all things football as well which she crushes it on you're the you're the next mina kimes nicole i've said that to Mm -hmm. you before but guys you're 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 definitely you're definitely on your way so just remember us remember the little people yes when When you're when you're out in los angeles doing awesome things for nfl network remember us yes you're way too kind (laughs) (laughs) all right everyone have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll talk to you guys all next week